sent an invitation to just ask her to share some of her story and just some of her journey that she's been through these last uh, few years and just a season where really she could have felt really weighed down in how she made it through it and where God is in all of that. So uh, Kelly, um, thanks for being here and blessing us as always and we look forward to hearing what you have to say. So I'm Kelly Hondard, and I know what it's like to be weighed down, but I also know what it's like to be lifted up. So initially, the diagnosis was tough. Physically, it was tough. I think it is a natural human response to ask why. Why, God, I was angry. Initially, my symptoms were bad. Vision problems, my balance was terrible, and it was like my brain was having trouble telling my body what to do. Those first couple dances that I did after my diagnosis were hard. It was like I was stuck in someone else's body. The journey through my diagnosis has many ups and downs, and it took many turns. Without going into detail and all the ins and outs of that, I will say that I got to a place where I decided that this diagnosis was not gonna define me. I wasn't defined by the MS. My dancing was no less worshipful after the diagnosis than it was before. The idea that it is all about him and nothing about me became even more emphasized. God didn't care if my moves were graceful or put together or executed perfectly. He didn't care if I lost my balance or misstepped. He only ever cared about my heart. During the time after the diagnosis, the statement, sacrifice of praise, was so true in my life. I felt like I traded my graceful, flowing, beautifully executed worship for a wobbly, uncoordinated, ungraceful, broken sacrifice of praise. But to the Lord, it was beautiful. A beautiful offering of worship. And in that, I grew more spiritually and deeper in my faith than what I realized at the time. I never stopped dancing. Even in the hardest moments, I never stopped giving my worship offerings to the Lord, no matter what the human perception of them was. I wasn't going to let this diagnosis take away what I loved or cripple the way that I worshipped my God best. Fast forward to today, by the grace of God, I have been symptom-free for a few years now. Though my body continues to age, <laughs> which has its effects on the dancing, I live each day without a thought of the MS. I don't live with it. I don't carry it around with me. I just keep on worshiping and loving the Lord through my dancing. And I keep teaching others how to glorify God with dance. God is so good. All the time, on the mountaintops and in the valleys. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I live on the promises of his word. And every day is a gift from him. And it's an opportunity to worship. I don't know that my dancing helped me deal with the MS, but it definitely grew my faith and deepened my understanding of what true worship is. I think as humans, 
We get so easily caught up in all the wrong things. We get distracted by the outward appearance. We get stuck on ourselves. We get ourselves in the way of what God wants to use. MS is a part of my testimony. It is part of my journey. But it's no more part of my journey in living my life completely for Christ than any other part of my story. If I would have stayed in a place of questioning why and the anger, or stopped dancing because it wasn't good or graceful, I would have missed out on so much blessing, but I also would have abandoned the true mission of living my life for Christ. The mission of using my testimony in its entirety to bring others to Christ. I don't know how my story has touched others. I don't know how my testimony will grow God's kingdom, but I won't stop being an instrument of God's choosing. Whether in my verbal testimony or my testimony through my dancing, graceful or wobbly, it is all for him. Amen. Thank you for that beautiful testimony. Uh, how, how can you not feel weighed down, right? A dancer with MS. And you would make sense to ask God why. This is what I'm using to, to glorify you. And, uh, but in and through that, I just love Kelly's heart and her joy of the Lord, knowing that God is good. And I'm going to continue to push on through this and uh, continue while we, and we ask why, but we live in a broken and sinful world. I mean, that's just a reality that we need to recognize. So there will be things that come upon us and and weigh us down but the incredible good news is that's not the end of the story ms is not the end of the story sin is not the end of the story the cross tells us that the victory of jesus christ winning over sin and death is the end of the story and he sits on the throne and one day that wobbly body is going to be dancing before the lord at full strength and in fact i'm probably even going to be there dancing before the lord in full strength yeah so we, uh, that's what we live into, the promises of our God, that when we're feeling weighed down, we remember who he is, what he is, what he has promised, and where we are going. And uh, so thank you, uh, Kelly, for that. I know that we have been blessed uh, through the years uh, by her ministry and by her dancing for us during our services. So thank you for that. We are going to continue our uh, series, obviously, today, and we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 14. So if you can find that in your... Pew Bible, that would be that would be great. And then uh, keep your Bibles open. I think that's on page eighteen thirty-four. Today our topic is pretty simple. We are going to be talking about being weighed down by anger. Weighed down by anger, and I think Paul has some direct application for us as we think about that today. Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any, uh, one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. When was the last time you were angry? I mean, big mad. Maybe it was when your boss called you out in front of your coworkers. Maybe it was when you were at the airport and your flight got delayed and then delayed again and then delayed again. Maybe it was when you read about some social injustice across your news feed. There are many things that we come across in our life, in the natural rhythm of life, that can make us angry. And most of those things we deal with pretty well, because anger is a natural response. It's built into our system. It comes from our uh, earliest years of, you know, flee and flight and all. So it's a basic instinct. And most of the time that anger is handled rightly and well, and we doesn't have any lasting effects on us. But then there are those times where we hold on to that anger because of that hurt, because of that rejection, because of that abuse, because of that disappointment, and we hold on to that anger. And we take that anger and we keep it and we hold on to it and we stuff it in the box. And there, as we carry it around with us, we begin to experience some of the negative effects of carrying that anger with us. We start lashing out at other people. We, we slam doors. We alienate people. We no longer talk to people. We start engaging in self-harm. We're bitter. We're anxious. There's a host, host of consequences from holding on to this anger. In fact, most counselors will tell us that of the people that they counsel, 50% of them, it boils down to carrying around anger and dealing with anger. 
Are you carrying around some anger this morning? You've been carrying and you're weighted down with this anger? If you are, I think the Word of God has one clear counsel to you this morning, and it is this. Release it. Release the anger. We see that here in Paul's words that he wrote here. Paul says to us, he says in Colossians 3, 8, but now you, all right? We gotta go over this one more time again. We see here that Paul is saying there's a contrast here. You live differently because you are in Jesus Christ. So we get the but there again, saying the rest of the world is going this way. The rest of the world is living this way. But because you are in Jesus Christ, you're moving this way. And Paul says now, he says, because you are in Jesus Christ and you walk a different way than the rest of the world, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. If you look at those as a collection of habits and a collection of characteristics, those are all related to being angry. And what Paul comes here is he says, you must get yourself rid of this anger. And I want to point out again that it's significant that the Greek word that is used here for anger is not the daily little fits of rage and frustrations that we experience but rather it is the chronic anger that, we, that weighs us down and that we carry with us. The Greek word here, organ, actually means to swell. To swell. That it, it, it rises up in opposition and it continues to grow and it continues to mature and then it's settled in. That's what this word is like. And, and so I think of it like, uh, like this, this is your anger that you have, and you get angry. And you experience that anger, and you choose to hold on to it, and you choose to just stuff it right there in the box. But then that anger, as you carry it around, and it begins to, to swell up, and, and it begins to enlarge and it becomes a part of who you are now and you throw that back in the box and it just continues to grow and it just continues to sit there and fester and you begin to carry this around with you day after day week after week and for some people year after year and now it's a part of you that's the kind of anger that paul is talking about and there are some of us here today that have that kind of anger we've been carrying it around for weeks months maybe years, maybe a lifetime. And it's become a part of who we are. And that's who, what Paul is talking about here, that it's not that day in and day out that we experience, we deal with, and we handle, but it's the kind that we, we stuff away. And so what Paul says to that kind of anger, it's pretty, pretty clear. He says, but now you who are filled with all this kind of anger, you must rid yourselves of it. There it is rid yourselves of it that's a pretty easy word we understand right rid we're just gonna get rid of it 
All right? And the actual Greek word here again means to put aside, to lay it aside. And it has uh, the attachment to it of the idea of clothing. All right? So you can think about clothing. Thus, I brought my green sweatshirt with us this morning. Because my green sweatshirt met its fate about a month ago. And the fate was this. Bob, you have to get rid of that green sweatshirt. You wear it every day. Not only is it for a team that never wins, but also, that's where I went to graduate school, by the way, but it is filled with stains from all your time sitting and eating and spilling. The sleeves are all frazzled and wore out. The bottom is stretched. It's just a, it's a mess. You got to get rid of that sweatshirt. That's the word. You got to get rid of it. So where did this sweatshirt go? You may be wondering, why am I still holding on to it? Because right now, uh, it's in sweatshirt purgatory. <laughs> sweatshirt purgatory in my house means it's been put in the pile of clothes that I can... That, that is acceptable to wear outside when I do yard work. That's where it went. So I guess the analogy falls short there because I didn't legitimately get rid of it, right? If I was going to get rid of it, I would have walked out and thrown it into the garbage can. But I couldn't because it's my green sweatshirt. <laughs> but that's the idea behind it. This word here is that you take something like clothes, you get rid of this, and my goodness, well, what am I going to wear in place of my green sweatshirt? How about the four new ones that you bought in the last year? You could put those on, the brand new ones that look good. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. You're, you're weighed down by all this anger, and you know what you got to do? Just get rid of it. Rid yourself of all this stuff. Rid yourself of all this stuff. Why? For this simple reason. It goes back to that but phrase that we had there. That anger is not a part of the nature of those who are living in the kingdom of God. We live within the kingdom of God, and anger is not a part of that nature. In 3 verse 1, look what he says there. He says, since you have been raised with Christ. That's the starting of this whole section. That's who we are. We're living into this. That's our identity, right? We have been raised with Jesus Christ. And so now everything that follows in our lives is because of that. And he says, since you have been raised with Jesus Christ, and notice in verse 12, he calls us God's holy people. And we've been over this word before. Holy means to be set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for God's purposes. Set apart for God's kingdom. Set apart for living into righteousness. That's who we are. That's who we are. And in James 1, verse 20, James 1, verse 20, James says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So what is James saying? He's saying you're living in the kingdom of God. You are holy people. You are righteous. But if you hold on to this anger, if you, you're weighed down by this chronic anger that is just filling your spirit, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce the new life of who you are. It doesn't produce that. And so what we are told to do is get rid of it. Paul's words to the Ephesians 
In Ephesians 4, 26. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. All right, put a timer on this. You're not going to hold on to it. You're not going to let it you marinate within you for a week, for a month, for years and years and years. There's a time limit on this. You're going to deal with this, what's making you angry. Deal with it in a helpful and constructive way because you don't want to give the devil a foothold. You see the, the link here? We're supposed to live in righteousness. We live within the kingdom of God. We live to who we are. But if we were weighed down by this anger, it will give the devil a foothold to come in and to deter us and to take away the righteousness that we're trying to live into. I spend um, too much time when I am on Facebook, on my feed is filled with baby elephants. I, so no judgment here, all right? There's baby elephants. Uh, there are uh, Fritz the hippo, who was born uh, down in the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, daily, watch his video on there. Uh, I fill my Facebook feed with things that bring me joy and happiness. There's no politics on my feed whatsoever. Uh, we're not going to have arguments. It's just happy things. There's some bottles on there. There's some bonsai trees. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful feed. It makes me happy. But however... As you can see in the picture here, most of the time, when I'm looking at my little baby elephant videos, for some reason or not, the baby elephants are always getting stuck. They're falling in ditches, they're falling in holes, they're falling in trenches. They're always in a problem. And you can see this little guy here, he struggled and struggled and struggled to get out of this ditch. He couldn't do it. Why? Because he didn't have a foothold. What he needed to get up and out is he needed some place to place his foot, and then he could get out and he could get where he was wanting to go. Now, elephants are wonderful creatures, and they care about each other deeply. And so usually what happens is the big elephants come along, and they, with their trunks or with their feet, they provide the little guy a foothold, and he can be on his way. We think about that. That's what the enemy is trying to do in our life. He's there. He knows up here is righteousness. He knows you're trying to live for God. And he is looking for, the enemy is looking for a foothold. Because the one place he doesn't want you living is in the kingdom of God, living for righteousness, pursuing the things of God. And so he's looking for ways to come in your life and move you as far away from God as he can. And so he looks for a foothold. And Paul is saying anger is one of those footholds. If you'll get that anger and you will hold on to it, and you'll let it swell up, and you will make it a part of your life, the enemy can will grab a hold of that, and will do what he does. It says Satan roams around like a roaring lion waiting to devour and destroy, and so he'll come in and he'll, he'll fill us with bitterness, he'll fill us with, with rage, he'll, he'll break relationships between us and other people, he'll puff up our pride, He'll convince us that our way is the only way and that we should be right and everybody else is wrong. And he'll come into our life and create, create a mess, create chaos, create destruction that does not lead us into the things and the ways of the kingdom of God. Anger does that. And so we need to get rid of that because that's not part of our holy nature. So he says, rid yourselves of anger. And then Paul says in Colossians 3 9 he says take off your old self 
There we have those words again. Take off your old self. Now, he uses a different word here than what he used earlier. Earlier he said rid, now he's saying take off your old self. This is much more emphatic. This is much more do it. This is the difference between little uh, Bobby Carroll at age five years old coming into the house on Friday when his mom had just cleaned and mopped the floors and I was out playing in the dirt piles of the homes that were being built around us at that time in Jenison. Because where else would a five-year-old boy want to play but other than a dirt pile? So I would play in the dirt pile and I would come in the door and my mom would say, Bobby, make sure you take your shoes off and then you can come in the house. That was kind of, that was good. That's, that's rid yourselves. But then there was when Bobby Carroll came into the house and he made about six, seven steps across the floor, then it was, Robert Scott, get to the door and take those shoes off now. All right, that's the difference. That's what we have here. Paul's first saying, rid yourselves of all those things. And now he's like, hey, don't you know who you are? You belong to Jesus Christ. You live in the kingdom of God. So take all that old stuff off because that was part of your old nature because Jesus Christ died on the cross to make you pure and righteous. So don't live that way any longer. That's the difference in the two words. So Paul's getting amped up here, right? He's getting amped up and he's saying, take off those old practices because you're in Jesus Christ. That's who you are because your nature has been completely transformed by Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 3.10, he says, put on the new self. When we are in Jesus Christ, Jesus just didn't, he just didn't amend our lives or improve our lives or he didn't make a few modifications to our lives jesus christ completely gave us a whole new nature and because we have that nature paul says put on the new self which verse 10 he says the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator what is the new self i'm putting on the image of the creator and the creator is god i'm holy I'm God's people. That's who I am. Paul says, that's who you are. And look what he says in 3 verse 12. He says, then put on, put on and clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of that is the antithesis to anger. All of that describes Jesus Christ. He says, that's the nature you put on. You rid yourselves of anger. You put on this new image of God because that is who you are. This is what you wear. And as Paul says in Romans 13, 14, he makes it pretty simple. He says, put on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ does not walk and live and hold on to and weigh down with anger. What do we do? What did Jesus do? Look what Paul says in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the nature of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And what's the standard that we have here for the forgiveness? As God forgave you. Wow. Wow. That just dialed it up, did it not? Because how did God forgive us? Completely. For everything. 
without question, he forgave us. That's the extent. It says, you forgive as God forgave you. We have a God whose mercies are new every morning. It says, that's the model. That's the image that you follow. You don't move towards anger. That's not part of your nature. You don't hold on to it and, and live with it and, and make it a part of the destruction part of your life. But you get rid of it and you forgive people. It's unlimited is what you need, how much you need to forgive. Luke 6, 36. We were talking about this in the men's Bible study this week. It says, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. There we always get the standard. As God. As Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's who we are. We're set apart. We're chosen to now live different from the world. And we live as God. As Jesus Christ. And that nature is to forgive. You remember in Matthew 18, Jesus' disciples were having a discussion and they were like, well, how much do we have to forgive? Right? I get it. Okay, I can forgive. But do I forgive them once? Do I forgive them twice? How much do I forgive? And Peter steps forward and Peter says, how about if we forgive them seven times? And that was a really bold statement because in Jewish thinking and in the Jewish rabbinic teaching of that time, three was the limit. So what did Peter do? He doubled it and added one. That's pretty generous. So Peter's like, yeah, we'll forgive seven times. We're pretty good. We'll do it seven times. That's pretty awesome. And Jesus looks at him, and you remember what he said. He said, no, Peter, 70 times seven. So, of course, we're all going, oh, 409. No, Jesus is making up. He's just saying it's unlimited. Unlimited. Whatever it takes, whatever you have to do, you continue to forgive as many times as it takes. Jesus wanted his followers both then and now to know that we lead with forgiveness. And ultimately, what do we put on? <coughs> it says in verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love. I suspect there may be some of us here this morning that need to let go of this anger. You've been, you've been carrying it around. It's been a part of your life for, for a while now. And you have been dealing with that anger. And I just simply want to say to you this morning, release it. Release that anger because that is who we are in Jesus Christ. That's who we are as Christ followers. The world may hold on to it, but we release it. And when we release it, I want you to know this, that it, it deals more about you than it does the other person. We say, well, I don't want to forgive them because that hurt was bad, and I, I, if, I, if I release it, then they're off the hook. I get that. But that's, the truth is, it's you that benefits from forgiveness. Because as long as you hold on to it, that past has control over your life. As long as you hold on to it, that person has control over you. Once you, if you don't release it, you can no longer move forward. And that's what God is calling you to do. He's saying, forgive them. I'm going to leave justice up to God. Right? I'm going to leave that up to God. And my forgiveness does not mean that I forget. My forgiveness doesn't mean that there's not consequences. It doesn't mean that I still don't draw boundaries around uh, relationships and that kind of stuff. 
Uh, forgiveness um, does not uh, mean that, that I just go back and t tolerate it some more. And so don't hear me say, especially if you're in a, in a relationship where husband and wife, I know there can be abuse there or children being abused by parents. Don't hear me saying you go right back into that. You, you don't. That's wrong. Nobody should ever be abused that way. But I am saying we're not going to hold on to that anger that we have because of that and let that define who we are. We're going to be set free from that. The enemy wants to keep you captive with that sin. He wants to keep you captive with that, that, that hurt, that pain, that, that relationship that broke off. You know, the, He wants to keep you stuck there. But God is saying, release it. And then we can step into God's arms and let him bring healing and let him bring wholeness and let God restore us. And so the forgiveness is about you. And so I want you to hear that morning. That's why Paul is shouting at us, forgive, so that we can step into the life that God wants for us. And so as we close and think about that, I just want you to, to maybe put a name to that. What's the name that's in your box that's weighing you down today? What would that be for you? Let's turn our hearts towards God and ask God, the one who fills us with his spirit, with his image, so that we can forgive just as Jesus did when he went to the cross and forgave all of us. Let's ask God to bring forgiveness. Father God, as we come before you, we want to thank you for loving us, for forgiving us and saving us. We thank you for being patient with us. Your compassion towards us, as we said, is unfailing, and your mercies are, are new every morning. And, and God, we hear now these words that you call us to be merciful as you are merciful. So, Father, please forgive us for not being forgiving. Forgive us for thinking evil thoughts and seeking revenge against others who have offended us. Forgive us for hatred and for not walking in love. Forgive us for gossiping and lying and rehearsing in our minds what was said and done to us. God, would you just now remind us of those persons or situations that we need to forgive. And God, help us to forgive. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we ask in this day that you would cultivate your spirit in us so that we can release our anger. We want to, and we need to drop this anger that has been weighing us down as we use your forgiveness towards others as the standard, God. Today we are making a simple choice to release it, to forgive. Father, we declare in this day that we will forgive those who have offended us. And in this moment, hear my heart as I release to you my anger.
Holy Spirit, heal our emotions that have been wounded and teach us how to love unconditionally. Lord, help us to forget the past so that we can move forward to the future. We press toward the mark of our higher calling of living in Christ Jesus. Friends, as we continue to sit silently before the Lord, and as we wrap up this series, I know that maybe your way today is not anger, not envy, it's not fear, it's maybe something that we haven't been able to talk about. But for you, that weight is there and it's weighing on you. A lot of other things in this broken world can be weighing us down right now. So in the stillness of this moment, go ahead and put a name to that weight. What's in the box that you're carrying around? What is weighing you down today? Know that God is here in the stillness and in the quietness. And he wants to speak into your life about that weight. Together, let us be still. And let us release the weight through the power of the one who gave us the example. And speak, speak to God about the weight that you're experiencing. Let's be still to know that he is God. Become aware of your breath. Breathe in through your nostrils. Feel your stomach expand and breathe out. And breathe in again. The air that God breathed, filling the lungs his fingers weaved and know. Know that God is still God. No matter where you are, 
no matter what's going on, no matter what you carry with you into this moment, the circumstances of this moment do not change the fact that God is still God. The weather on a mountain doesn't change the fact that it's a mountain, does it? Whether it's the pouring rain, the storm of tears, watching them bury the one that you have loved for years, or the bitter, frozen cold of loneliness, the howling of the wind blowing through the emptiness within. Or whether it's the warmth of the pure morning sunshine of your baby's tiny fingers as they squeeze yours, erasing every ounce of your frantic worry and bringing you back into this precious moment. However this moment feels to you right now, I want you to hold it here, in front of you. Imagine this moment in your open hands. Just observe it. Understand it. Try not to judge it, but just to know it for what it is. And remember that God, the mountain on which you stand, is not changed by what is in your hands. Be still and hold this moment delicately. Be still and know that He is God and He holds you in His hands. Maybe this moment feels like a gift on Christmas, filling your heart with excitement. Or maybe you're confused, maybe even angry. Why did you give me this, God? I don't understand it. Be still and know that no matter what you feel about this moment, even if you don't understand, that is okay because you still know the one who made this moment. And that is enough, because he is good. Because he knows. When the tears are streaming down and you don't know where to go, know that you are not alone. Know that he knows. Every pain, every joy, every sorrow, he knows. And he doesn't just know about it, he knows it. You are not alone. He knows what it's like to face hate and injustice. He knows what it's like to face hunger and homelessness. He knows what it's like to be tempted by the same flesh in us. He knows what it's like to see his friend's sealed grave and weep like the rest of us. He felt the sting of betrayal when a kiss from his friend marked him for death. With each strike of the whip, each insult, each abusive fist, he showed that you are not alone. Every trial we have faced, he has faced and more. 
He even knows what it's like to pray and cry and hear nothing from the Lord. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows. He chose to know all of that so that you could know that no matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter what this moment looks like that you are holding right now, you are not alone. You are known. You are fully known. And it's okay. And it's enough to just be still and know that He is God. God with us. And when you do, you'll know that it's okay, that it's possible to appreciate this moment for what it is, whatever it is. And then to let it go. To lay it here at the foot of his cross. So be still, friend, and breathe in again, and breathe out, knowing that a new breath, a new moment will come, and it is exactly the moment that you need next. So no matter what this moment holds, don't cling to what you have or what you think you need. Come, lay your burdens here, friend. Come and be free. Let it come and let it go.